want you to know that we'd love to get to know you and get to meet you after the service is over, so hang around just a little bit. And we want to invite you to come back at every opportunity that you have. We will be meeting again this afternoon at 5 o'clock, and I'll go ahead and tell you the lesson for tonight. You're having a baby. Now, not necessarily you. I'm not sure there's anybody here who is, but that is the title of our lesson tonight. So, we would love to have you back to be with us as we study together. Her name was Ella Irene, and she made some of the best biscuits that you ever put in your mouth. They were all just about that big around, all perfectly round, and she never even owned a biscuit cutter. They were all made by hand. They were all exactly the same size. I don't know how she did it, but she was able to do that. She was my grandmother. And as I was growing up, you know, I always remember that if you were not already in the kitchen, already ready, you'd hear these words, breakfast. And so it was time to go in there and to have the gravy and the biscuits and all of the other things that she made every morning except Sunday morning. Sunday morning was pancake morning. That's when my granddaddy cooked on those days. But I, I don't want to talk about her necessarily this morning. What I am interested in is her middle name, Irene. That word Irene or Irene is used some 85 times in the New Testament. And most of the time when it's used in the New Testament, it's translated by this word, the word peace. Literally it means something like this, to weave together. And so you see the idea of using that word of weaving together. You see the peace that is portrayed within a weaving of clothing together, fabric together, or some other substance together. You see the peace that coexists in that. And so this morning as we think about it, we know that the, uh, some 85 times in the New Testament the idea of peace is discussed. But it's used in three main ways in the New Testament. There's three main ideas that are presented to us in regard to peace. Three, we're seeking peace in three prominent areas. In the New Testament, peace is to be sought with God. Now, there are a number of passages that deal with that. As a matter of fact, Brother Tommy read as he was uh, directing the Lord's Supper this morning. He read from one of the Bible passages that talks about how that we have peace through the cross. But in the book of Romans chapter 5 at verse number 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it is through His cross that we have that. Colossians chapter 1 at verse number 20. And so we, we seek, we need that peace with God. But not only does the New Testament talk about peace with God, the New Testament also talks about how that we need to seek peace with our fellow man, with other people, those who are around us. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse number 18, the Bible says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We have a responsibility to do our best to, to get along with other people, to be at peace with them. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, at verse number 14, there the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Two things are mentioned there, peace and holiness. We're to have both of them. If we don't have that, we don't have that conjunction there and peace and holiness. If we don't have both of those, we can't see God. And so it's an important thing that we seek to have peace with other people, those who are around us. It's our responsibility to seek out and to, to try to find the peace that we have. But as Paul put it, sometimes it's not possible to have peace with everyone. It's just as much as is possible with us. We do everything that we can, and we have to leave the rest up to them and to God. And so this morning we have in the New Testament peace that is to be sought with God, peace that is to be sought with our fellow man. But there's a third area in which peace is to be sought in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you see, peace is to be sought with ourselves, And that's what we read in our reading, their scripture reading this morning from the book of Philippians chapter 4. Let's focus primarily on verse number 7 right now. The Bible says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Some folks seem to have very little peace in their lives. There's all drama all the time. They have very little peace in their lives. But the peace that's spoken of in this passage really sounds attractive, doesn't it? It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Peace that every one of us would desire. Peace that we can lay down our head at night and go to sleep. Peace with ourselves, you know, so that we're not constantly suffering with anxiety. Peace with ourselves so that we're not worrying. Peace. We can have that peace. That kind of peace is to be sought, and it can be found. And so this morning, that's what we want to spend the rest of our time together talking about for just a little while. That peace that's mentioned here in the book of Philippians chapter 4 at verse number 7. As we look at that passage, we know that our text informs us of the source of peace. Think carefully about what Paul wrote. He said that it is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And if we were breaking that down from a grammatical standpoint, if we were asking a grammarian, he would say something like that, this. He said, well, when you look at that, that is a genitive of source. Now, we're not grammarians, or at least I'm not. We probably have some English teachers in here. But as we think about that, you know, I as a country boy can come to understand it. I don't have to know what a, a, a genitive of source is if I understand that what he's talking about is this. True peace belongs to and comes from God. That's what this passage is teaching us. That genitive here, that genitive of source is talking about the source of peace. The peace is from God. It belongs to Him. And the only way we can have peace, the kind of peace that's mentioned here, is to get it from Him. It is the peace of God. Now, as we notice in the, pa in the various passages in the New Testament, we understand the Bible tells us that God is the God of peace. As a matter of fact, we didn't have it read this morning, but if you have your Bible open to the book of Philippians chapter 4, where we just were in talking about this peace, 
If you look down at verse number 9 in that passage, the Bible talks about the God of peace. He says, What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, five times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. We understand, and according to the book of 1 John, that God is love, but He's called the God of peace. He's called the God of a lot of things, the God of mercy and so forth. But five times in the New Testament, God is called the God of peace. You see, that's that attractive thing that we're looking for in our own lives that we're seeking to have that helps us to lay down and to rest at night and to, to be happy during the day. That's where we're, what we're seeking for. And the source of that is God. Amen. The source is God because He is the God of peace. But now in talking about that this morning, what is the point? You see, since God is the God of peace we're forced to conclude that the only genuine abiding peace comes from Him and none can be found apart from Him. You see, all the psychologists and the psychiatrists, they may help people achieve peace for a short time. They may be successful just a little bit. But only can we find true and lasting peace in God's principles. And the only way that psychologists and psychiatrists can help people to have true peace, even for a short time, is to base it upon the principles of God Himself. Anything else may be temporary, but these things will sometimes result in other problems even later. We want that true peace, and the only source of it is God. But I want us to think about the passage again, and as we do, I want us to understand that our text informs us of the degree of the peace that comes from God. Thinking about it, the Bible talks about how that it surpasses all understanding. Think about first that word understanding that's used there in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7. What does Paul mean when he says it surpasses understanding? If we're thinking about the word, if we look it up and define that word, it, it's a word that refers to our mind, to our intellect, to, to, the, to the part of man which thinks. And so it, it surpasses the understanding that you and I have in our own life. But notice also what the Bible says in regard to the degree of peace that it surpasses. The word literally means to hold above. It is far above the understanding that we have. It, here in this passage, it's what's known as a present tense participle. And, and as a result of that, again, we're not grammarians, but as a result of it being in that tense, we understand it is a peace that continues to be held above. It's there and it stays there. It, it is beyond our comprehension. Our thinking is what he is saying here. And so it suggests the idea that the divine peace maintains a status. A status that's elevated above human peace and human understanding, the human mind. 
There are two possibilities as we look at this passage and think about that part of it. Two possible meanings of the idea of surpassing all understanding. First of all, we could say that it's so wonderful, God's peace is so wonderful that it's simply beyond our ability to fully comprehend or appreciate it. It's just that good. You know, there are a lot of things about God that we don't fully understand. For example, we can't fully understand God being eternal. Because the only thing we have to base our thinking upon is time. We know when someone is born. We know when they die. We know when there is an appointment that's been made that we need to leave at such and such a time to get there. And we know that when the preacher has preached 30 minutes, he's supposed to be through. We're supposed to be out by 1230. You know, we have a concept of time. But we don't have necessarily in our mind a concept of eternity. We can define it. We know that eternity has no beginning and it has no end. But can you really comprehend that? Can you really? Yes, I can define it. I know it, it, it really doesn't have a beginning. But, I, you know, looking back there, I keep looking to find the starting spot. And I can't find it. There are a lot of things about God that, that we really can't grasp. We can't grasp how God can be omnipresent. What do you mean? Well, that He can be everywhere all at one time. We can't grasp that because we're limited by the space that we feel. We can't grasp the fact that God can be everywhere. Not fully. Genuine peace perhaps is like that. God's peace is so good that we can't begin to, to comprehend it. Like His eternality. Like His omnipotence and omnipresence and omniscience. Three big long words about God. That's one thing that it can mean. Or secondly, it can mean that God's peace is beyond the ability of man's intellect to contrive, produce, or obtain. In other words, the peace that God offers us, man can't even begin to, to come up with a way that would match it. No man or no group can sit down and intellectually devise a psychological system that parallels it or equals it or even comes close to it. You know, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, at verse 23, God reveals to Jeremiah this thing. He said, I know, O Lord that the way of man is not in himself, that it's not in man who walks to direct his steps. Now, we understand that in that passage, he's referring to the ways of, of God in regard to salvation, and, and he applies that in that way in the book of Hebrews. But think about it, and it's not just in the way of salvation, it's in every way. That man can't fully comprehend what it is he needs. But the one who created man, the one who gave man his mind, the one who made man what he is, he can comprehend it because he thought man up. He contrived man, and he knows what it takes for man to have peace. It can be possible that 
that peace is, is beyond understanding, it, it's, we, we just can't comprehend it, or it can be that we can't contrive it. But it's likely partially both. That we can't understand it fully, we can't comprehend it fully, because we can't make it up. We can't build it. We can't construct it, contrive it. Because we don't have the ability to do that. What I can say this morning is that it is so wonderful, it's something that I want to have. Something that that you want to have. Something that every person in our world would love to have is that kind of peace. But then this morning, not only do we understand that from our passage, we also understand that the text informs us of the activity of the peace. What does it mean? Well, in our passage, according to the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it said that it will guard your hearts and your minds. Now here it is one of the reasons why I want it so badly. When we talk about the word guard, it literally means to keep, to protect as a sentinel. To, to pr- protect as someone who is standing there, perhaps with a gun, keeping all those bad things out. But notice what it guards. Two things, the Bible says. It guards both the heart and the mind. Now that's two different aspects of man. What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, God's peace provides both emotional and intellectual support for a Christian. Emotional and intellectual God's peace is not just some bubbly feeling grounded in an emotion on an emotional plane, but God's peace does guard our emotions. When we're talking about the emotions, we're talking about how we feel. How we well, how we actually feel. You know, it's hard for some folks to believe, but God wants us to feel good. God wants us to have that peace. He he wants us to be happy. God wants us to have joy in our heart, does He not? Rejoice for just a little while. Rejoice for just a little bit. Don't think that's exactly what Paul said, is it? Rejoice evermore. Rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. He wants us to have joy, but joy comes from peace from the lack of anxiety, from the lack of of fear, from the lack of doubt, does it not? God wants us to have that peace as it relates to our emotions. Some folks are lacking that. They are tormented. Some folks are tormented from the time they get up in the morning to the time they try to go back to sleep at night. They're unable to. They're missing that emotional support that emotional guard that God wants man to have, that makes it possible for us to have the joy, to have the comfort, to have all of the things that we look at as being good. But not only does it provide a guard for the emotional part, not just a bubbly feeling, it provides a guard for the intellectual part of man, the mind, both the heart and the mind. Now, how does it protect the mind? If we can understand something about how it protects the mind, 
then we can find out and understand more about how it protects the heart. It can protect the mind or the intellectual part. It's a shield to that because it's based upon evidence. God allowed us to have a mind that can reason things through. An intellect that can figure things out. And one of the things that you and I can figure out is that if somebody makes a promise, we can figure out whether they keep the promise or not. And if we understand that when people make promises, if they keep the promises, we can trust them. Or if they don't keep the promises, we can't trust that person. If we can figure that out, we can know something. But one of the things that we can figure out is that when God makes a promise, God keeps a promise. The things that we have in God's Word are based upon evidence. You see, God promised to be with the Israelites as they were going into the promised land, and, and, and God was with them. God promised to be with men like David. God was with them. God promised to be with the Israelites even when they were taken into Babylonian captivity. If they would be faithful to, to them, to him, God was with them. You know how I know? Because I see a man put into a lion's den in Babylonian captivity. A man who's praying to God and is put into a lion's den. And it really didn't make any difference to him. He believed that God was going to protect him. How did God... Or rather, how did Daniel not react with screaming and crying and, and clawing and trying to climb out of the lion's den? It's because he knew God meant what he said. And he believed God would protect him. You know, Daniel had three friends. Still in that great book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. King said, I'm going to throw you in a fire. You know, I can think of, can't think of hardly anything that would be worse than dying in a fire. Burning to death. King said, I'm going to throw you in a fire. They said, go ahead. How could they say that? Because they made other statements that we can read. You know, I, we believe our God's going to be with us, that He'll save us. And if not, basically what they say is we'll go to be with Him, everything's going to be okay anyway. The fire was so hot, the people who threw them in were killed. And they came out, didn't even smell like smoke. Why? How do you do that? Because they believed that God meant what He said. You come into the New Testament, you have men such as Stephen, the first Christian martyr, as we sometimes call him, being stoned to death. Lifts up his eyes. God allows him to see the vision of Jesus, His Son, standing by His side. And he prays, Father, forgive them. How do you do that? How is Paul so calm when he's in prison? 
And even beyond that, coming on later, even to some of the men who sat at the feet of the apostles, mentioned one this past Wednesday night, a man by the name of Polycarp, who was actually put to death, burned alive. Eighty-six years I've served my Lord, and he wasn't about to turn on him now. And they burned him at the stake. Some God saved physically from the fire. Some He didn't save physically. But all, it seemed, were good with it. Because they had the assurance of God. You see, what we understand is the Bible is true. We can, we can research, we can look at the evidence and understand that it is indeed a revelation from God. Its promises are reliable. Christianity is grounded in history. It's checkable. The things that we, that we look at in Scripture, we know from study. We can test, test them to, for their factual information to understand that they are true and that the foundation is stable. And this is the most reliable basis for peace, a peace of mind that you and I can have. And we could spend much more time dealing with that this morning. But God's peace provides both emotional and intellectual. With my intellect, if I can understand and know that God says what He means, means what He says, and that no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay, I can face somebody saying bad things. I, I can face somebody doing bad things to me. And I can be okay. Because I know it's not always going to be that way. I know with my faith in God that one day I'll be with Him. And folks who are like that won't forever separated from Him. The activity of peace, it acts as a guard. But very quickly this morning, we also see the location of peace. It's in Christ Jesus. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. It goes on, he ends that verse by saying, it's, the, it's to be found in Christ Jesus. You know, one has to get into Christ Jesus in order to have this peace. God provided us a way of getting into Christ to have the old sins washed away and He will take us and add us to His beloved church, His kingdom. We can be in Christ according to the book of Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 and 27 by being baptized into Christ. The Bible says, Paul wrote, For in Christ Jesus you are all the sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul confirmed that as well in the book of Romans chapter 6 verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
To be buried with him is to put him on. To put him on is to be able to walk in newness of life. And a part of that newness of life is the peace that we find in Christ. You know, the longer we stay outside Christ, the longer we live without the peace that God offers in our life. The longer we force ourselves to struggle, to hurt, to worry, the longer we stay outside. But thankfully, we don't have to stay outside of Christ. But I want us to understand this morning, to simply get into Christ is not enough. You see, there are a lot of folks who have been baptized who still struggle. They have no peace with themselves. Why is that? Why is that? Well, one thing we probably need to check is ourselves. The book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit, watch this, is life and peace. Where is our mind? Even as a Christian, where is our mind? Are we more concerned with the here and the now, the things of this life, or the things above? Living like a Christian or trying to please everyone who's around us? Folks, we never please everyone, but we can please God. And I'd much rather please Him, because when I know that I'm pleasing to Him, I can have that peace. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 32, back in the Old Testament, Isaiah wrote and said, And the effect of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness. What's righteousness? Right living. Living in, a, in harmony with what God has written down for us. The effect of righteousness is peace. And the result of righteousness quietness and trust forever. Folks, most of us who are here this morning are in Christ. We're Christians. We've been baptized for the remission of our sins and yet it may be that you're one who's suffering from a lack of peace. Who's at fault? Certainly it's not God. God's peace is true. So many have had that peace before you. The treasure belongs to the child of God who is willing to walk in the light, to be with Christ, to do what He says. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, Peter writes these words, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Folks, one of the reasons that we may not have the peace is because... We're trying to hold on too much to the world and too little on God. 
You see, the source of peace is God. That's the only place we can get it. If we're trying to hold on to the world, we'll never have it. And the extent of the peace is peace that surpasses our understanding. You know, I may not even understand how it is that I can have that peace. But I know that it will guard my heart and my mind. I know this morning that I can look into God's Word and find it, find what it means, find that God makes the promises and that it's true. And even though I may not understand it, comprehend it fully, I believe I can still have it. Beyond my imagination, beyond my ability to comprehend. But I can't make it up. And the problem is, sometimes we're trying to do that by trying to hold on to part of the world, part of God. This won't work that way. You will never have peace until you fully give your life to Christ. Make Him the King. And then and only then can you have the peace that He offers because that peace is found in Him. And we have to be walking in Him in order to have it. This morning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we'd beg you to become one. We'd love to sit down with you and help you do that. Maybe you're here today and you know that you need to be in Christ and you want to be baptized. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe you're here today and you know that you're in Christ but you haven't had the peace and you've taken a look. And you said, you know, it's there and it's true and God has promised it. It's not His fault that I don't have it. Maybe I need to work on me. Maybe I just need prayers that I can work on that. That I can work on. Maybe I need forgiveness. Whatever the case may be, if we can assist you this morning, why don't you come right now? As together we stand and sing. Blessed Savior, I surrender all. Oh, to Jesus I surrender humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all. Forsake and take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessing.
blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord. I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender.